Another cool Instagram spot that I like is um, Gravelly Point. Um, which is a park uh, right by Reagan Airport, and you can actually watch the planes take off and get cool photos with you know the planes literally flying behind you, and uh, kind of a unique area. Yeah, if you're an airline or an airplane enthusiast, that it, that spot is heaven. Welcome to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. Discover the best tips, tricks, and travel hacks for your visit to the nation's capital. And now, here's Rob and this episode's special guest. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to episode two of the Trip Hacks DC podcast. If you want to check out other podcasts or see the show notes from this episode, you can do that over at triphacksdc.com slash podcast. And while you're over there, you can check out a Trip Hacks DC tour or do that by going directly over to triphacksdc.com slash tours. Today's episode is going to focus on a topic that I know is important to a lot of Washington, D.C. visitors, getting great photos of your trip. And with that said, I am very excited to welcome Nicole Glass to today's episode. Nicole is a photographer in Washington, D.C. She started her career as a journalist and taught herself photography as a way to supplement her stories with photos. She also has a YouTube channel about travel, exploration, and photography. And I highly recommend checking her stuff out, so make sure to see the show notes for links and resources to all of her stuff. So, Nicole, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And before we get into the meat of it, I want to describe how I discovered Nicole and how I came to ask her to join the podcast today. So, running the Tripax DC YouTube channel, I try to keep a pulse on what's happening on YouTube, people who are posting videos about the city and that sort of thing. And earlier this year, I came across a really cool travel video that Nicole made. It was only two minutes long, but it was jam-packed with all kinds of really cool footage, places to see, things to do. And so, Nicole, can you just tell us briefly about what that was, why you made the video, and um, how it all turned out? Yeah, so basically I found a contest that I saw online. It was by an airline, an Icelandic airline called Wow Airlines. And they were basically giving away uh, three months worth of travel, um, sending, you know, two people around the world for three months. And to enter this contest, you had to make a travel video introducing the town that you live in. So, of course, I went out, um, spent a couple of days gathering footage from Washington, D.C., and I made a two-minute travel video about the city, which was really hard because trying to sum up your entire city and putting it into two minutes was so challenging. It took a lot longer editing than I thought it would, several days, actually, because you just have to cut, 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 and really just keep what's important. And so the fact that you're with me today and not out traveling the world on behalf of this airline, I guess, suggests that you didn't win the contest, which I think is a total bummer. Yeah, unfortunately, I didn't win. Uh, I think they said they had uh, between thirteen and 14,000 applications. So winning was definitely not easy. Um, but it was still fun making the videos. Uh, I love watching other people's videos. And uh, it was still worth it in the end. Yeah, and for what it's worth, I did watch the video that they picked as the winner, and I thought yours was better. Oh, thank you. Obviously, I think footage of Washington, D.C. is really cool, and your stuff is really good. But uh, So, yeah, I'm a little disappointed that we didn't get a local as the winner, but alas, it happens. Yeah, and I traveled anyway on my own. Awesome, awesome. So let's jump into you as a photographer and talk about some photography topics. So I guess first, how long have you been a photographer and how did you sort of find yourself in this field? Like I said in the intro, you started as a journalist and now you've got some really awesome photos and do some really awesome work. 
Yeah. Um, so back when I was in college, I was studying journalism. And, you know, after I graduated, I did work as a reporter for a little while. Um, and that's around the time that I picked up my first camera. Um, there was an event that I was covering where I thought, actually, it was an event with Michelle Obama. And I thought, how can I go to this event and not have a camera? This is ridiculous. I need to get into photography. So I went out, uh, I bought myself, you know, an expensive camera at Best Buy. Um, that came with two lenses. It was just a starter camera, but for me at the time, this was like a, quite an investment. And uh, I took it with me to my event, uh, took photos while also reporting on it, and um, that's how it all got started. And after that, I just started teaching myself photography, and at some point, photography became a lot more interesting than, to me than journalism. And uh, at some point, my hobby transitioned into a business, and now I have a part-time photography business in D.C., and you do portraits and landscapes and everything in between? Oh, yeah. It's really hard to just classify myself as one type of photographer. I'll do corporate events for companies, but that's not really interesting for me personally. I love doing landscapes, portraits, um, cityscapes, and most recently, um, drone photography, which you can't actually do in D.C. because D.C. is a no-fly zone. Yeah, I've watched some of your drone videos on YouTube, and that footage is absolutely amazing. And as much as I would love to spend an entire podcast talking about that, for those listening who don't know, Washington, D.C., the entire city is a no-fly zone, so don't even bother bringing your drone when you come and visit. But let's talk about landscape photos, because yours are great, and that's something that I typically wind up photographing myself. And when I'm out on a tour, giving a tour, people are interested in, in photographing the major landmarks, you know, the Capitol, the Lincoln Memorial, And that sort of thing. And one question that a lot of people ask me is, you know, when's the best time to go photograph these things? Is it early in the morning? Is it in the evening, during the golden hour, sometime in between? What advice would you give to someone who is trying to photograph landmarks? Everything you said, basically the worst time to photograph landmarks is in the middle of the day when the sun is coming straight down. But if you go early in the morning for sunrise, it's perfect. You're going to have nice colors. You're not going to have a lot of people in the shots. And um, you're going to get pretty epic photos. Sunset is also beautiful. The colors are nice. Personally, I love sunset. There are going to be a lot of other people in the mall that you're going to have to share that space with. Um, But you can be creative, you know, take creative angles. And, uh, you know, that's also a good time to take silhouette photos if you're into that type of thing. Um, night photography is great in DC. That's when you're really going to get the mall looking pretty empty, especially if you go late at night. However, that's not good for, uh, iPhone photographers. Um, that's pretty much only good if you have a DSLR or something where you can really take good night shots. Yeah. And a DSLR for people who are listening to the podcast and aren't big photo people are those big cameras with the long lenses that you see, you know, professional photographers using. Pretty much. So I, you know, wind up taking a lot of sunset shots just because that happens to be when I'm out giving the tours and there's some really nice skies but like you said there are always so many people in the photo I think I got a great sunset at the Lincoln Memorial but there's about a thousand people in the Mm -hmm. photo so sometimes people ask me you know are these monuments open 24 hours what if I came here at three in the morning would I be able to get a photo without any people in it and my answer to that is actually I think but I don't know because I'm not really a night owl but have you ever done any really late night photography or gotten any good photos uh, after hours I have. And the monuments are open. I mean, there's no there's no fence that closes them off or anything. So you can pretty much go to all of the monuments at any time of day. If you want to go to a museum or something like that, that's something you're going to have to do in the daylight hours. But monuments, they're open all the time. You can go in the middle of the night, um, early in the morning. Everything is open. And when you do night photos, you use a tripod, a monopod. How do you get good night photos? Both. Sometimes I'll do a long exposure shot, um, which... Uh, 
you know, you'll definitely need a tripod for. But if you have a good camera, you can also just take night photo, you know, regular night photos without having to bring a tripod. Okay. And are there any sort of secret spots or angles that you can, you know, use when you're trying to get a good photo of a pretty standard or very well photographed monument like the Lincoln Memorial or the Washington Monument? What are some tips for sort of spicing up your photos and making them a little more interesting then? You know, instead of just taking a straight up photo from the spot that everyone takes a photo, you can look for different ways to take that same photo. Like instead of photographing the Capitol, for example, just, you know, a straight up shot, you can photograph it with, you know, get down low and photograph the reflection of the Capitol in the, you know, reflecting pool. Um, Same thing with the Lincoln Memorial, you know, get close to the water, get the reflection and the Lincoln Memorial at the same time. Um, and you know, sometimes if you look for different places where you can get photos, that might be great as well. Like, uh, the National Gallery of Art East Gallery, if you go up there and go to, uh, the second, I think it's the second level where the blue rooster is, you can get a great shot of the Capitol. Same thing with the museum. Um, and those will be a little bit more of a unique perspective. Yeah. So that raises an interesting, uh, point, which is, you don't have to take all your photos from the ground. You can go up high. We up high or down any, low. We don't have any skyscrapers in Washington, D.C., but we have a lot of buildings with rooftops. And you just mentioned two of them, the National Gallery of Art East Building and the Museum are both great uh, examples of rooftops. Are there any other uh, rooftops that you like to go up to for photos? Well, this isn't necessarily a rooftop, but the Kennedy Center has sort of a higher level where you can get a great view of the Potomac River and the buildings behind it. Um, you can also go to the bridges, like the Key Bridge, like walk across the bridge and take a photo of the city from up there. Um, things like that. And of course, if you have friends with rooftops or hotels that you're staying at that have a rooftop that you can go to, that's always great as well. I believe the uh, W Hotel in D.C. also has a rooftop that's open to the public. Um, they have a bar up there. It's a little bit expensive, but you can get great views up there as well. Yeah, a lot of hotels do have rooftops. So if you're staying at a hotel downtown and you want to get some great photos, you might want to ask, you know, before you book or just before you arrive, you know, is there a rooftop? Can I go up there? Is it open to the public? And that's a great way to get some different uh, perspectives on the city. So I want to change topics a little bit and ask you about photographing the city at different times a year. So Washington, D.C. is a unique and great place because we have four seasons. So there's winter, spring, summer, and fall. And we're recording this in the summer. But, you know, if you come here during one of the other seasons, your strategy for taking photos might be a little bit different. And so why don't we start with the summer and sort of work our way through the seasons? What kind of different tips do you have for photographing the city during the different seasons? Well, summer is easy. You have nice weather. You know, you can manage to be out in the um, in the night without freezing. And, uh, you know, summer, the only thing you're going to be struggling with is taking photos without tons of people in it. Um, but other than that, you're going to have pretty good climate. And I actually love photographing the city in thunderstorms as well, or like right before a thunderstorm, because that's sort of when the mall clears out, people start running away, they think it's about to rain, but then you've got these black clouds behind the monuments, and that creates a really cool effect. Um, Fall is my favorite season. Uh, I love the city in the fall, and you can go to lots of different places to see the fall foliage, like the National Arboretum has beautiful fall foliage, and I love going there. Um, Winter is a little bit tougher because everything is kind of dark and gray. But if it's really cold, you might get the um, reflecting pools frozen over and then you can, uh, you know, take photos with the iced over reflecting pools. Um, If it's raining, you can take a photo through a puddle. 
Um, again, get that reflection through the puddle. Um, or if there's nothing interesting to take photos of, but you want to be in the photos, um, you can wear like a bright red coat and then you have this, you know, kind of gray background and you got that pop of color. So you can definitely spice up your photos. And of course, spring, Washington, D.C. is known for the cherry blossoms. Pretty easy to take beautiful photos in the spring because there are flowers everywhere. Yeah, so the cherry blossoms are absolutely beautiful. I had someone who was on my tour recently who said that he happened upon the Cherry Blossom Festival. He just happened to be on a business trip when they were in full bloom, and he said that this was the kind of bucket list travel experience that people dream of. You know, people have these lists of places in the world they want to go, and just seeing those cherry blossoms in full bloom was really spectacular. Now, the challenge is that it is absolutely crowded. So many people around the Tidal Basin, the Jefferson Memorial, trying to get those perfect photos of the the cherry blossoms. But one trip hack that I have told a lot of people is that the cherry blossom trees are not just on the Tidal Basin. They are all over the city. And one old local's joke is that if you ask a local what their favorite place to see the cherry blossoms is, they'll probably say, whichever tree is closest to my house, because they're all beautiful and the ones closest to you are probably a little less crowded. So what are your favorite personal places to go and see the cherry blossoms and photograph them? So every spring, I I kind of avoid the tidal basin because it is a mess. Sometimes I'll go out there just because, you know, as a D.C. resident, it's kind of the thing to do. You have to go to the tidal basin at least once. Yeah, and that's not to say not to go. If you're listening, don't skip it because you hear us saying that it's too crowded. Definitely go. It's an experience you should definitely have. Right, but there are places to photograph the cherry blossoms if you want to avoid the crowds. And my favorite place is actually a neighborhood called Kenwood, which is is about five minutes outside of D.C., um, you know, driving distance. And uh, Kenwood actually has the same number of cherry blossoms as the Tidal Basin, um, but they're all scattered around this little neighborhood in Chevy Chase, Maryland, again, right on the D.C. border. And the trees were actually planted in Kenwood before they were planted on the Tidal Basin, and it was sort of an experiment, and they saw that they were successfully able to grow the trees in Kenwood, and after witnessing that, they planted them on the Tidal Basin. So Kenwood came first, the Tidal Basin came second, same number of trees, different locations. Kenwood is starting to become a little bit more known now, so you do get crowds, but definitely not as many as the Tidal Basin. And the second place that I would recommend is going to uh, Dumbarton Oaks, um, which is uh, kind of like a mansion and gardens that are in the Georgetown neighborhood of D.C. And uh, there's an entrance fee. I believe it's $10. um, But it's, you know, these gardens are gorgeous. There's not a lot of people there. And you get also the cherry blossom trees, but also lots of other flowering trees and plants. Yeah, and a lot of stuff in Washington, D.C. is completely free. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you see something like, oh, $10, why would I pay that? I can go over here and get it for free. But this is an example of something that's probably worth a splurge. And mm-hmm. quite honestly, the small price is not even that much of a splurge. It's pretty small and definitely worth for the, the lower crowds and the unique experience over there. Exactly. And I really liked your tip about wearing bright colors, especially in the winter, because I know whenever I'm out on tours in the winter, because I do offer tours year-round, it's just... It, it never feels like I want to take out my phone and take a photo because it's just so gray and so dreary. Uh, there's no leaves on the trees or anything like that. But you're right, wearing a you know really bright colors or you know maybe bringing a bright umbrella or some other kind of prop sounds like something that's really uh, a good idea. Mm-hmm. And uh, my own little op-ed on the fall is that it's definitely the best time in D.C. Uh, you know, it's my personal favorite time. I think if you can swing a trip in September or October, that is kind of the holy grail of visiting Washington, D.C. You get a little bit smaller crowds than during the spring and the summer, but the weather is pretty fantastic, a lot less humid than it is during the summer. 
But as far as the, the foliage, I think people ask me a lot when our foliage changes, and it's a little bit later than the northeast. So if you go up to Vermont, it might you know be changing in late September uh, or early October. But here it's a little bit later. Do you know exactly when the best, the best time, time is? Well, it changes every year. You know, if you have a, a really long summer, um, you know, it's going to be different than if winter arrives earlier. But usually I would say sort of the end of October, you're going to have nice fall foliage. Sometimes that's extended into the first week of November. Anywhere between mid-October to um, the beginning of November, you're going you're gonna to have some nice colors. Yeah, I found a, an Instagram photo I took last year on Thanksgiving, and it had pretty fantastic colors in it. So, Oh, yeah, I think last year we had a late fall. Yeah, so I think it, it can definitely go pretty late. And uh, for this kind of thing, I do recommend reading The Capital Weather Gang. They write in the Washington Post, and they do very detailed weather analysis. And so when you're trying to figure out exactly when the cherry blossoms are going to be in bloom or exactly when the fall foliage is going to be at its peak, you can definitely check those guys out, and I will put a link to that in today's show notes. So I want to ask about photographing with your phone because a lot of visitors, they come and they're not professionals. They don't have a DSLR professional camera like you do, and they're, they're showing up with an iPhone or another smartphone, and I personally think that phones nowadays, the technology is absolutely amazing. People hand me an iPhone 10 or an iPhone X. I'm not quite sure which is it, which it is. Same and thing. And I'll take a I'll take a photo of their family and just be blown away with how amazing the photo looks. Mm-hmm. So I think I saw you have an iPhone. Mm-hmm. Do you have tips for someone who doesn't have a professional camera but has um, an iPhone or another smartphone? What's the best way to get photos that look professional or look really good that you'd be proud of printing out and hanging on your wall? Pretty much every photography tip that I gave, you can also apply to uh, modern iPhones because they are so good. The only thing that you might still have trouble with is taking photos at night. But any sort of daytime shots, if you have an iPhone 10 or an iPhone 8, you're going to get amazing results. I mean, very, very uh, comparable to uh, high-quality cameras these days. Um, I have an iPhone 7, and personally, I don't use that for um, my photography. What I primarily use that for is selfies with friends um, and transferring photos from my camera onto my phone so I can post them from my phone. But other than that, my phone is basically just used for selfies. That's good to know. I know I take, I'm very different. I take almost 100% of my Washington, D.C. photos on my phone. I do have a proper camera, but almost never use it because it's heavy and, you know, I can just throw the phone in my pocket. I always have it with me. And a lot of people have commented. They said, oh, you know, what kind of camera do you use for your Instagram photos? And I say, oh, my phone. And um, they're kind of surprised that the phone can take such good photos. Now, Mm -hmm. for someone like you, a professional photographer, you probably look at those and know right away that they're not um, taken on a proper camera. But I think to the uh, untrained eye phones these days can take really, really awesome photos. Yeah, and especially for landscapes. And, you know, with uh, the newer iPhones, you have portrait mode as well. So you can pretty much take portraits that look very professional. So for someone who doesn't really know, what is portrait mode? Can you describe it uh, to yeah. someone who has never you know, used a proper camera before, what it's doing and what the photos look like? Yeah, so portrait mode on your iPhone, if you haven't tried it out yet, go try it out now. Um, Basically, what it'll do is it'll focus on your subject and it'll blur out that background, which is called bokeh. Um, But, you know, most of the time when you see a photo like that, you think it's a professional photo, but these days phones can get that blurred out background as well. And uh, if you take some photos of yourself in D.C. with portrait mode, it'll look like you actually had a professional photographer following you around for your whole trip. That's really cool. Yeah. So let's talk about Instagram because that's a very popular social network right now. I post a lot of photos on Instagram. That's where a lot of the people who 
come on my tours wind up posting their tour photos um so obviously you can go around the national mall you can get the photos of the monuments the capital all that stuff but what are some of your favorite instagram spots that might be a little off the beaten path or a little different something that you can say i came to washington dc and i did something other than all the standard tourist stuff yeah um, so I'm not sure if, if tourists typically know about this spot, but I really like the exorcist stairs in Georgetown. And basically if you're just walking by, you might not realize what they are. It's, um, a very long set of stairs and very, very steep and a little bit intimidating looking. Um, you'll see a lot of runners running up and down those for a workout, but the exorcist stairs were actually featured in the movie, the exorcist. And that's where father Damien tumbles down the stairs to his death. Um, and the movie, the exorcist was actually filmed in the house at the top of the stairs. So um, it's sort of a cool spot and you can get a great photo of yourself like on these creepy looking stairs and then you can talk about the story in your caption and uh, it's definitely impressive for people that haven't been here. So I like that spot. Another cool Instagram spot that I like is um, Gravelly Point. Um, which is a park uh, right by Reagan Airport, and you can actually watch the planes take off and get cool photos with you know the planes literally flying behind you and uh, kind of a unique area. Yeah, if you're an airline or an airplane enthusiast, that, it, that spot is heaven. I mean, you can watch, depending on which way the wind is blowing, obviously either the plane's landing right above your head or taking off right above your head. And I've never really seen any place else like that. Um, in my own travels, I'm sure somewhere in the world there's an airport like that but definitely very very unique Mm -hmm. anywhere else that you like to go and i like going to roosevelt island which is uh sort of the island across from georgetown and you're gonna have to access that from the virginia side i believe yeah and just for people who don't know this is teddy roosevelt yes his cousin franklin roosevelt has a memorial on the national mall that is included in my monuments tour and a lot of the other tours but roosevelt island is a monument for teddy and that's Technically in Washington, D.C., but the only access point is from Virginia, so it's a little bit uh, tricky to get to, but... Right. So if you have a car, it's no problem, but you could also just take a very, very short Uber ride over there. And um, there's trails that go on the island. It makes you feel like you're kind of in this, like isolated forest oasis in the middle of the city. And if you walk towards the water, um, you can actually see the entire city um, from, you know, Roosevelt Island, and you're going to get pretty cool shots from over there as well. So um, that's another photo-worthy place. Well, I want to ask you about your experience photographing inside the White House. Okay. And I learned about this because you have a video that is actually a really useful video with tips for a photographer who is assigned to go photograph inside the White House. Now, a lot of people come to Washington, D.C., and they contact their Congress member three months in advance, and they ask them, hey, can I please take a tour of the White House? And they'll get a chance to go inside. But I think to actually be able to go inside and to photograph uh, an event like you did is something that's really unique. So can you tell us a little bit about your experience and you know what it was like and what you learned from doing it? Um, yeah, so I've actually photographed inside the White House on two different occasions. Um, my employer uh, sent me there to photograph um, an official state visit. And I, you know, was part of photographing the press conference and the handshakes and all of that fun stuff. Um, and it was actually a pretty cool experience because you're you're not just photographing the press conference, but you're actually spending several hours in the White House. You know, after you go through security, you have to be in a holding room for a while And during that time, I was able to walk around the outside of the White House and get really great photos of it from different angles. Um, And of course, the press conference itself was also an interesting experience because, you know, in in my case, it was in the uh, the East Room. And uh, that's 
where a lot of the press conferences are held and, you know, being part of a mob of paparazzi-style journalists um, is definitely an experience that you won't forget. So one of the things you mentioned in your video is about step stools. Yes. So what is the deal with these step stools and why are they so important? Yeah, I mean, this would probably be more interesting for people that have the chance to photograph inside the White House. But um, when you're at a press conference in the White House, you pretty much need a step stool to get any sort of view because all the other journalists, they bring their own step stool. And the White House actually has rules on it. I believe your step stool can have a maximum of three steps. Um, and if you don't have one, you're going to have all these other reporters like blocking your view. You're not going to see anything. Your photos are not going to be good. And the first year I went, I didn't have a step stool and I was sort of like taking photos through the cracks of people's arms and stuff like that. But the second year I learned, I brought a step stool. I reserved my space with it because that's the other thing. If you don't have a step stool, your your spot is not going to be reserved and you're going to have to like elbow your way through just to get a good view. So um, definitely bring one, one for reserving your spot and two, just for getting a good view. Um, Otherwise, you're just going to be struggling. Yeah. And you're a few inches shorter than me, I think. And so (laughs) without a step stool. So now you have to battle against people who are up three steps uh, on top of you. I imagine it's like when you're a kid and you go to the movies and some six six foot tall person sits in front of you and now Mm. can't see the movie anymore. Uh, so that's that's a really interesting thing that I certainly would have never even imagined being not a photographer myself. Yeah. But a lot of people go and they go and take the East Wing tour of the White House. And for those who are um, interested in going, uh, the White House has the East Wing, which is where the First Lady keeps her offices and where the public gets to tour. And then there's the West Wing, which people know from all the famous Hollywood TV shows and movies, um, you know. Anything, any movie or show about the president is set in the West Wing. And unfortunately, the general public does not get to go on that one. So when you go, you get to go in the East Wing, and they have all the colored rooms, the blue room, the green room, the the red room, and the state dining room, and some other of those. So do you think it's even worth people trying to get photos inside the White House, or is this the kind of experience that you should just go and enjoy and take it in and not even worry about it? Well... I only went on one of those tours once, and I was 11. So um, I don't think I took any photos back then. I don't think I had a camera. But, um, you know, seeing the White House, if you can do it, it's, you know, it's worth it. It's a thing to check off your bucket list. But if you can't get a tour, because I know they're hard to get, don't worry about it. There's plenty of other things to do in D.C. Um, I do like photographing the White House, um, you know, the, the outside parts of the White House when you're in the gate, because... Otherwise, you're going to kind of often have the gate in your photos, and I, I don't really like that. Yeah, so the gate, this is a challenge nowadays because if you haven't been to the White House recently, the security is intense, I mean more so than ever in U.S. history. And on the north side of the White House, there's not just the gate, but there's a second gate mm-hmm. that you have to go up to. And then on the south side of the White House, they actually don't let you on uh, up to the gate anymore on E Street, so you can only photograph from across the street and through a big gate. So is there any hope for people who want to get a, an outside exterior photo of the White House? Or is it just yeah. this is how it is nowadays in 2018? Well, yeah, it's it's pretty tough. But if you're um, in Lafayette Square, um, you know, on that side of the White House, and you back up a little bit and use a zoom lens, you can actually get a clear shot of the White House because you're kind of going to be above the fence a little bit, but um, if you're up close, it's it's pretty hard to get a shot without the uh, fence in the way. Yeah. So what I so what I recommend doing is if and this is a big if you happen to be in Washington D.C. on one of the two weekends in either the spring or the fall when they're doing the White House Garden Tour, 
take full advantage of that because that actually lets you go inside the gate and get very up close uh, to the building. And so that's a really good way to see it without having to make the reservations far in advance and hoping that you get in and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So those are all really great tips. Yeah. Well, Nicole, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast, sharing all your wonderful photography advice for everyone who's visiting Washington, D.C. I think it's been really helpful. I hope that people find your um, photos and find them very helpful when they visit. So thanks again for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, D.C. is such a photogenic city, and I hope you enjoy photographing it. Um, You'll definitely have a lot of fun here. And definitely hire Rob because he is an awesome tour guide. Yeah, so you can check out tripexdc.com if you want to. See what tours I have coming up. Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. To see the show notes from today's episode, get additional resources for planning your trip, or to book a Trip Hacks DC guided tour, visit triphacksdc.com.